this chick in some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is now playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the now playing DC Comic Movie Series. A golden age of heroes fighting together to defend life on Earth. Hosted by Arnie. Host acquired. Stuart. He has to choose you, so I'm guessing it's chosen you. And Jacob. Host overreacting. At nowplayingpodcast.com. We will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, General. About as American as it gets. Batman. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Blue Beetle. It's some kind of a world-destroying weapon. Uh, Black Adam. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do. The Flash. This is trippy. This is catastrophic. Suicide Squad. We're bad guys. It's what we do. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes will never come again. It has to. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. Let's go save the world. Today we're discussing Blue Beetle. Starring Sholo Maraduena, Adriana Barraza, Damian Alcazar, Elpida Carrillo, with Susan Sarandon, and George Lopez. Although, with this crowd, wouldn't that be Jorge Lopez? <laughs> I, I was going to say Susan Sarandon. One of those things are not like the others on that cast listing. Directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Proving that bad weed never dies. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who looks like an asshole like everyone else here, Jacob. Welcome back to DC. It's been, what, a couple months since the Flash tanked? Now we got Blue Beetle tanking. The Snyderverse continues to die. Is this Snyderverse when you have a superhero repeatedly saying, I can't kill someone? Is that a Snyderverse <laughs> film? Shazam didn't kill anyone either. I would also say that's not a Snyderverse film, except they keep mentioning Henry Cavill's Superman. You know, they just are trying to make us care about these movies. And so... They've muddied the waters. Let's just clarify, Blue Beetle was made under the old regime as part of the Snyderverse, and, like Batgirl, was made for direct-to-streaming on HBO Max. Oh, really? I did not know that. I wasn't going to have to go to the theaters to see this? I think it got promoted, right? They realized they had a better product. They had something for August summer, maybe not June summer. August, when all the kids are back in school, they're not free to, like, go out. Yeah, great timing. But like Shazam, this film pretty much stands on its own. There are some dropped line references to the larger Snyderverse. But because this film can stand alone and because James Gunn is a team player, James Gunn has come out on Twitter and said he considers this the first movie of the new whatever you want to call what DC is doing under James Gunn. Gunnerverse. Yeah, Gunnerverse, I like that. And so... That's really muddied the waters, but truth is, this was always intended to be part of that old Justice League Flash continuity. And I just want to say, look, we're movie nerds, we're comic book nerds, we get obsessed with this stuff, we debate it. The average moviegoer 
does not care about the Snyderverse. They don't know what that is. They're just looking at a trailer and deciding, hey, do I want to spend like 15 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever a ticket is these days to go see that? Like, this is something we care about. But to me, like, if you want to make Blue Beetle work, it's not about tying it to the Snyderverse or divorcing it from that. It's by good marketing and convincing the normal people to go see this. You know, maybe I'm just having a myopic view because we are movie nerds and comic book nerds, but I think that the comic book culture has seeped into the mainstream where I dare say a critical mass would know what the universes are. The average moviegoer would know DC versus Marvel and would know that they're doing these built universes and would know that they don't like the DC built universe. I live with the average moviegoer and like my wife is constantly, is this DC or Marvel? Like she doesn't know. My kids don't know. Like they know some stuff because there's a lot of cartoons, especially DC stuff like Teen Titans Go. But I would say the average moviegoer doesn't know. And unless they see that Marvel logo, like that might get them into theaters because that's a brand people recognize now. Again, it's a branding thing. Like I think the general moviegoer does know there's a stink around DC branded films. DC, Marvel, what's the difference? What is a Blue Beetle? I think the real challenge is, this is a superhero I've never heard of before. Is it the Tick? I wish it was the Tick. The Tick is amazing. It's not the Tick. Okay, it looks like the Tick. But no, Stuart, how can you not know the Blue Beetle? He has been around since 1939, since Superman, since Batman. He is a Golden Age superhero character who started as Dan Garrett, who who just got some uh, bulletproof chainmail, And I guess because it was... The Golden Age. Arnie, I see your Instagram. I see you reading a lot of Golden Age comic stuff and posting about it. And it's all kind of silly. So like, yeah, this guy has a blue suit and you need like Blue Beetle or Black Beetle. Like it's got to be the same consonant starting the name. But for a long time, like he, yeah, dwindled into obscurity until Charlton Comics bought the character. Now, the reason I bring up that name is because DC then bought Charlton Comics. And A lot of those characters, Peacemaker, Blue Beetle, The Question, we've discussed these characters before. If you thought the bug in this looked familiar, it's because Alan Moore wanted to use a lot of these characters for the Watchmen. And then DC bought Charlton and said, no, we might want to use these guys. So like the Blue Beetle became Night Owl. And so DC created a new version of Blue Beetle, Ted Kord, who was just basically Batman, just a millionaire who made gadgets. Again, still no like magic scarab from outer space. That was not until 2006 when, again, characters get rebooted. They're destroying their multiverse to recreate it because DC like has the most convoluted continuity. But that is when they came up with Jaime Reyes as the Blue Beetle getting this magic scarab or alien scarab really from space and giving him this Iron Man-like suit. And it was a pretty big hit. This is the version of the Blue Beetle that got into the cartoons, that got into cameos on those CW superhero shows. Yeah, we don't know this, but I do feel for comic fans a generation down or two from us, they are more familiar with this one. And like I said, this is the most popular version of this character, Jaime Reyes. Okay, so for what I'm hearing you say is, way back in the day, my (laughs) great-grandfather would have read Blue Beetle and would not have had him identified as a Mexican. No, not until 2006, no one would identify him as Hispanic. Okay, because I feel like all that I knew about this movie was they were triumphantly announcing that DC finally had their Latino superhero and that the identity really was built around having Sholo Mirajuena, a youth star from Cobra Kai, being able to step in and 
be the face for Latinos all over the world. That's what they're really here to promote. Yeah, and that's how the character was in the comic. I remember it ruffled some people's feathers. They did an issue where it was all in Spanish. And now it worked because I've read silent comics where they put no words in them and you're able to follow along. And I'm not fluent in Spanish. I took a few years in high school because I live in L.A. And like, you got to know a little bit of Spanish at least. And so I was able to kind of figure things out. But like, yeah, they've always leaned into that. Like one of the big differences here, we'll talk about when we get into the film. I feel like they're maybe in like Miami or something. But he is from El Paso, like a real place, which is rare for the D.C. to actually reference real cities. I do want to ask where this is. They're in Palmera City, which they say is the Edge Keys. Is that like the Florida Keys or am I being silly? That's what I assumed in this film. But Palmera City is where Court Industries is in the D.C. universe. And that's in Texas as well. But this feels very Florida to me. Yeah, I think Edge Keys is like some downtrodden suburb that when we see Palmera, it's Miami. And then we see the edge keys and we go, oh, this is the hood. But I agree. I like, I feel like we had Black Panther for African-Americans, Captain Marvel being the feminist one. Like there is this desire to, again, not just in comic book films, Disney does this. We want more inclusivity, more diversity. And so, yeah, it makes sense. It's like, this isn't a forced diversity situation. This character has a history of appealing to the Latino community and being a Latino himself. Yeah, and I just want to say that, like, I think that's the only thing I have to grab onto, but a good idea. I think I've talked about it. It is the trend of now we want to empower minority voices and that these superhero stories largely are about highlighting heroes we haven't really celebrated, who they're fighting. The rogues gallery villains, less important. I mentioned this when we talked about Ms. Marvel. And this movie kind of reminded me a lot about Ms. Marvel. Yeah, I definitely had Ms. Marvel vibes. Although, truthfully, this movie, and we will talk about it, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. But it's like you took a lot of movies we've discussed, put it in a blender, and poured it out as a daiquiri that is Blue Beetle. So who's helming this? I always try to make a point of, hunting down the director's previous work, seeing why you got this gig. And poor Angel Manuel Soto, he had an original film for HBO Max. It was called Charm City Kings. I go last night to watch it. It's been pulled for some reason. I don't know why. That's a big scandal. Yeah, a lot of these streaming services are just pulling stuff. Like, I guess Willow's not available anymore on Disney+. Plus. It's Yeah, people are demanding physical media because these streaming services are just removing things from cinematic history, I guess. Yeah, but it was it never got a theatrical release. This is the only way you can see it. And apparently it's pretty good. It debuted at Sundance a couple years ago, and it's a coming-of-age story for black male tweens in Baltimore. They're into, like, trick motorcycles. There's a whole, like, a biker gang that they're joining, but it looks half Boys in the Hood, half Tokyo Drift, and apparently, obviously good enough for Warner Brothers to say, we can give him Blue Beetle. I couldn't find this movie... But I did see he directed a documentary about Menudo, and I watched that. That's, that's on Max. It wasn't bad. I'll just offer. I, I learned a lot about Menudo. Do you have a newfound appreciation for Menudo? Well, you know, here's the bottom line. Don't let your kids go into show business. I've never seen anything to convince me otherwise. I mean, I learned that from different strokes, but okay. Yeah, I've never seen a story where the kids go in and have a healthy, good time in the showbiz industry. Guess what? Menudo, they're very abused depressing, but pretty good. I can't really judge the director beyond that, but 
Yes, he is a Latino voice that has made some notable works in the last couple of years and is already working for Warner Brothers. So why not give him what is, relatively speaking, a low-budget superhero film? I think this one is only like 110, 120 million, as opposed to the usual 200, 300 money bomb they drop. Yeah, but it's still not going to make it back. I mean, again, it was meant for streaming, so perhaps everything they get theatrical is gravy. But at least domestically, it's looking at like a 30 million opening, lower than Shazam 2 or around Shazam 2. Yeah, I gotta say, my theater was around Shazam 2 levels. Like, when I bought my ticket, there was only four seats bought. And here's the thing. You're right, Stuart. I felt like a lot of the marketing, and this isn't criticism, it's just an observation, was like, hey, first Latino DC superhero, come see this. Like, I felt like there's a lot of marketing to that community, and like... I live in a place, the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. My kids are minorities when they go to school. It's a very heavy Hispanic area. And so I kind of, I was interested to see, like, is there going to be a big demographic in the theater? And it was a pretty empty theater. It did not pull people in. Mine was pretty empty. I went to an IMAX at two o'clock on Thursday. So yeah, maybe people were just in school. I feel like this is a kid's film. Can I say that? Oh, for sure. Yes. I feel like it should be appreciated by young ones that wouldn't have been available to see it. But uh, I would say maybe 20 people and mostly people of color. I went to a Friday night 7 p.m. showing where I live also has a very heavy Hispanic population. And... I looked around the audience, it seemed mostly white, and it was about half full for the Dolby Atmos screening, and that's about average, I'd say. I think that's the word I'm going to use a lot tonight. We'll make it Pee-wee's word of the day is average. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) I can't scream, my family's still sleeping as we're recording. (laughs) Ah, yes, I might scream a couple times, but uh, we'll see. Let's get into it. Let's find out about this plot and find out why we should love Blue Beetle. Susan Sarandon plays Victoria Cord, CEO of Cord Industries. Under Victoria's leadership, this generic industrial corporation has become an arms manufacturer. Victoria has set her sights on a large government contract with her OMAC suits, mech suits that make each soldier a one-man army corps. However, to complete the OMAC, Victoria has been in search of an alien artifact called the Scarab. Can I just start right here for a second and say, no good business plan hinges on finding an alien artifact. I think right there, (laughs) I'm not investing in your company. This is bad if you're the one breaking the plot summary to make jokes. That's usually what Stuart and I do. (laughs) I'm glad you're confirming weirdness for me. Yes, that seems wrong. After a 15-year search, Victoria's team has found the Scarab, and the goal of launching the OMAC is within reach. However, opposing Victoria is her niece, Jenny Cord, played by Bruna Marquezine. Jenny's father was CEO of Cord Industries until he went missing years before. Jenny, like her father, opposes Cord Industries making weapons, so Jenny steals the scarab and becomes the target of Victoria and her goon squad. Desperate to hide the scarab, Jenny gives the artifact to job seeker Jaime Reyes, played by Sholo Maraduena. Jaime recently graduated from college with a pre-law degree, but returning home to Palmera City, He found his family in financial ruin, having lost their business and about to lose their house. Jaime had hoped his connection with Jenny would get him a high-paying job at Cord, but instead he finds himself with this strange scarab. Soon the scarab bonds with Jaime, crawling under his skin and giving him a super-powered exoskeleton that is nearly indestructible, can fly, and can create any weapon Jaime can imagine. 
Jaime, wanting out of this body, seeks Jenny, hoping she'll know how to remove the scarab. Jenny takes Jaime and his uncle Rudy, played by George Lopez, to her father's abandoned mansion. There, Jenny reveals her father was the cheesy 80s superhero known as the Blue Beetle. Jenny's father had hoped to bond with the scarab as Jaime has, but since he couldn't, he ended up making Batman-like suits and fighting crime with his beetle-themed gadgets. And in Jenny's father's lab, it's revealed there's no way to remove the scarab from Jaime. It's bonded with him, and removal would kill the youth. Knowing Jaime has the scarab, Victoria sends her troops after Jaime's family, which includes his sister Milagro, his grandmother, just called Nana, his father Alberto, and his mother Rocio. During the assault, Alberto has a heart attack and dies, sending Jaime into a rage. He goes after Victoria's troops, but is stopped by Victoria's bodyguard, Ignacio Carapax, the beta tester of the Omax suit. Yeah, not Carfax as my <laughs> phone wanted to keep autocorrecting it as. <laughs> I definitely want to see the Carfax on the taco, though, before I buy it used. <laughs> Jaime is captured and taken to Victoria's evil island lair so the tech from the Scarab can be downloaded and Jaime killed. Victoria succeeds in getting the full AI of the Scarab into the Omax suits. But Jenny and Jaime's family load up on some old 80s Blue Beetle tech and fly to the island to rescue Jaime. Jaime is almost killed by Victoria's testing, but a cliché vision of his father as he's dying gives Jaime the will needed to fight back. He and the suit complete symbiosis and are able to break free, while Jaime's family and Jenny blow up the base, destroying all the Omax suits. Jaime has a final battle with Carapax, who has the upgraded Omax suit, but Jaime scores a narrow victory. He spares Carapax's life, but Carapax grabs Victoria and walks into the fire of the burning island, killing himself and his evil boss. Jenny is now CEO of Cord Industries, vowing not to make weapons, and she also appears to be Jaime's girlfriend, as credits roll. As they start, yes, we want to feature Latino actors, directors, the culture. Enter Susan Sarandon. (laughs) (laughs) I think I saw her in one of the trailers briefly a couple weeks ago, and I I did a double take and wasn't 100% sure that I I was seeing it it correctly. But yes, Susan Sarandon, Oscar winner. It's been decades. When's the last time you've seen her in any movie? Speed Racer, which has been a decade. (laughs) Yeah, I know she's doing conventions now. She's coming to New York Comic Con. So the mighty have fallen a little bit of a ways. I know she's doing an appearance with Tim Curry at New York Comic Con, going way back to her Rocky Horror days. You know, I saw her in the trailers, and immediately my stomach sank, because Susan Sarandon in this film, for some reason, and especially the line in the trailer, just kept giving me flashbacks to Sharon Stone in Catwoman, and I'm like, oh boy. That is ominous. Yeah, this is going to be a bad villain. I will say, Susan Sarandon does not embarrass herself in this the way Sharon Stone did in Catwoman. No, no, and I want to just give her a compliment. I've always liked Susan Sarandon, in part because she does have the ability to laugh at herself. Again, she started in Rocky Horror and made some pretty silly movies, and I don't think she's embarrassed to do anything. So, like, you want me to do one of these DC things? Sure, I'll go into some Arctic tundra and find a scarab in the rocks, or something. I mean, she'll go into a soundstage covered in green to look like the Arctic, at least. This is not her first foray into superheroes. There was a Marvel podcast series called Wastelands, where she played old-age Black Widow. Yes, Susan Sarandon did a full podcast series as Black Widow, so 
she's gone into the superhero stuff before in an even lower rent medium. Yeah, is that like the modern day version of like a radio teleplay, a podcast about, I don't think that counts. (laughs) I honestly was surprised to see an Oscar winner as part of a podcast audio drama. So yeah, I think this is a step up from that. And she's outshone. It should be said, although she is the CEO, we clearly the villainess because she's blowing in. She's got money and she's talking about needing some object for the last 15 years. They're carving into some giant boulder or something. I don't think I ever understand where we are or why the scarab is here, but she's not even the focal character because we've seen this augmented cyborg in a tent and we go, oh, that's the cool one. That's the one we want to pay attention to. Her bodyguard. You said Carapax, but I think it's Carapace. Because, like, Carapace is, like, the body of an insect. I'm remembering something about high school zoology. <laughs> it sounded like Carapax to me. I- I'll say with this opening, because I'm a comic book nerd. I know about Ted Cord. He was my original Blue Beetle when I read Justice League International. The best Justice League. But the fact that she's a Cord, I'm like, oh. How are they going to address, it seems like they're going to address this legacy. Are they turning, like, the original white version of this superhero into the bad guy with Victoria Cord? Because, like, you introduce a CEO in a superhero film, unless it's Tony Stark who's going to have a change of heart, they're probably the bad guy. Yeah, even Tony was bad and, and had a change of ways. Yes, with money, we see corruption. Nine times out of ten, particularly in a superhero movie, we think of this as being the character that is corrupted. And indeed, she is hell-bent on getting some object that the credit sequence will further elaborate disappeared at the same time as her brother. That she formed this company, Cord Industries, with Ted Cord, and he disappeared 15 years ago, presumably here? I think it said their father formed the company and left it to her brother. And she was upset that it was left to her brother because she felt that was sexism. But when the brother disappeared 15 years ago, she took over and got them back into arms manufacturing. Yeah, okay. The way that she's going to frame it is that she's created the company as it is now, and that this is going to be some kind of game changer. Whatever they're cutting out of this rock, I'll just cut to it. It's the blue scarab from outer space. How it gets here is a mystery they won't ever reveal in this movie. I guess, do we want that mystery? I know during these opening credits, they'll show some South American type hieroglyphics with that beetle there that in the revised Jaime Reyes origin, yes, they like it landed on earth a long time ago and either the Mayans or the Aztecs found it and had their own version of the blue beetle hundreds of years before Jaime. I was wondering this throughout the film because I'm like, wow, we're really not going to get anything about these aliens. Maybe if this is successful, that's a streaming series where we get more of the backstory, the sequel. Well, not to spoil everything, but the mid credit sequence does say that Ted is not dead and coming back. So presumably, if we were to get another movie with him, he would explain all this. Yeah, and I got my theories about that when we get there. Yeah, they kept saying he's missing. He's missing. And so I knew that that would be a tease for the future and probably where this scarab is is tied into that tease. I'm going to say probably not, but we'll get there. But first, let's get to the main attraction. We have uh, our star, Jaime Reyes, blowing back home from Gotham Law School. I guess that he is studying to be a lawyer and has completed his undergraduate degree and plans for graduate school are going to be curtailed because he's coming home 
to a family that's got bad news. They're losing everything. And he's coming out of college, and this is throwing me for a loop, because I know this actor so much from Cobra Kai, where he plays a high school student. And now I know he's been playing a high school student for how long has that show been going on? Six years, seven years? But Yeah, I think he's a senior finally in it. (laughs) But seeing him in a graduation cap, I'm thinking he's just graduating from high school, that he's supposed to be a 20-something in this. I'm like, oh, he's older than I thought he was coming into this movie. Does it help that it's trying to hit all the topics of the day, or does it just, I don't know, to me it feels kind of silly, like, yes, college debt is an issue, rising rental prices. I understand you want to tap into the times, but... I don't know, just make it seem a little bit more naturally. Here, it just feels like they throw out every modern-day problem younger generations are going through, and pandering, maybe, a little bit? Again, here's what I would offer. Here's the kind version of what I hear you saying. This feels pretty rudimentary. And so the people that are going to most appreciate this are children, right? Like, I'm instantly taken back. When we see this family in this sort of sitcom patter, and all of the hardships, and again, just the focus on everything's going to be about empowering this kid, I'm like, yeah, this is Ms. Marvel all over again. You say kids, but there's a couple of boner jokes in this. I would say teens. It ends on a boner joke. That's for kids, too. I'm sorry, but kids love boner jokes. Some of the crazy, like, featurettes I saw on YouTube promoting this is George Lopez talking about taking edibles on the set. It's just, it's a different generation for what's acceptable. But I I think it's smart to get Jolo as the star here, the guy from Cobra Kai. That, like, my kids, superhero movies turn off. But they're like, oh, it's Miggy from Cobra Kai? Maybe we'll want to see it. They didn't want to see it eventually. But that was, like, the closest thing they could do to get them to want to see this film is have a Cobra Kai star. Because they love that series. Okay, as the Karate Kid non-fan... I don't know who this was. This is the first time I'm seeing Sholo. Oh, he's the star of this show. Okay. Not Ralph Macchio? No, it's really about Miggy. Yeah, I dare say it's about Johnny. Yeah, Johnny and Miggy. Ralph Macchio is kind of the villain of that show. I kind of hate the LaRussos. But I'm trying to figure out why you get him for this role. He's a decent enough actor, but I kind of expected the Blue Beetle, to do some martial arts stuff. Because as part of Cobra (laughs) Kai, he's done a lot of that training. You know, he doesn't do the stunts all himself, but he does some of the stuff himself. And here, this is going to be all blue screen CGI stuff. So I guess we're relying solely on his acting chops and his experience in front of the camera. I like him in this movie well enough. He's perfectly acceptable as our hero. I don't say that he is my favorite of all superhero secret identities, nor is he in any way a turnoff. I mean, let's just say it. What Blue Beetle did when they reinvented him is really leaned into Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Like, that's the vibe they want to go for. A younger hero, got quips. And I think this actor, for a family-oriented superhero film, he's got enough charisma. He's got enough presence. He's not really a Peter Parker. Like, I I don't know if his quips are quite working and having that kind of appeal towards the kids, but he's got enough of an appeal. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give an even stronger compliment. I feel like he's the asset that the actress was for Ms. Marvel. Like, at least you have a focal character that's fun to watch. Yeah. Even when the movie gets kind of shambling or is treading on cliche, I do feel like I enjoy Sholo, so it helps me enjoy Blue Beetle. Yeah, this entire opening, which I feel 
goes on a little bit too long, a little bit too much with the family. I started asking myself, take the Blue Beetle out of this. How would I feel about this show with the family? And I'm like, you know, if this was a sitcom family show, I would wish for it to be a little bit funnier, but it's average. You're not laughing at George Lopez? (laughs) I am laughing at George Lopez. I didn't expect to laugh at George Lopez so much, but as Uncle Rudy and his taco, which is what he calls his truck, I think it's because it's a Tacoma, and I actually found him much more amusing than I thought I would when he's rolling up, hitting the horn. I'm cringing as the resident Latino of this show (laughs) when La Cucaracha is playing out of his car horn, I'm like, oh God, we're going to all the stereotypes, but they steer away from it. But come on, no, this is called Blue Beetle, and you got George Lopez making the jokes. I'm like, how long is it going to take for him to make a La Cucaracha joke? The answer is instantly, (laughs) as soon as he arrives. I mean, this is the trouble when you go with something that is really trying to appeal to a, a specific community is... Like, there's the famous story when Warner Brothers, like, we're getting rid of Speedy Gonzalez because it's based on Mexican stereotypes. And then the Hispanic community is like, no, we love Speedy Gonzalez. Bring him back. He is our Looney Tune. And look, no culture is a monolith. And so it's tricky when you're going to say this is for Latinos. And now anything you put in now is going to come off like a stereotype because everyone's going to have different opinions, even within that community. Yeah, but a tricked out truck playing La Cucaracha is a little bit on the nose. With Cheech and Chong bobbleheads uh, on the dashboard. Yes, you know, George Lopez is going to be George Lopez. He's certainly not trying to change his image here. And how you feel about him is how coming into this is how you'll feel about him as he inserts the comedy and man-in-chair tech. He's the techie, ultimately. I'm going to disagree because I I was worried about George Lopez, and he's a fun time in this. At any rate, it's a family that you would expect to see in a warm, wholesome 80s sitcom. It does feel very 80s. That feels by design. Like, even the opening credits, all the streaking neon and all of that. The logo of Blue Beetle is, like, very Miami Vice, neon blue and pink, yeah. Yeah, the the soundtrack is all synths. Motley Crue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and just the score, too, is also a very synthesizer-heavy sound to it. So it definitely, it feels like they want to, I guess the 80s are cool again. And so they, they want to give that sheen to this. Even though this is a very contemporary story, as you say, this family is losing its house. The way I read it is, they live in Edge Keys, and Edge Keys is being edged out by this growing, sprawling metropolis. Gentrification, yeah. Yes, neon skyscrapers that are coming closer and closer, and they can't wait. This is prime real estate, so they can't wait to just demo this entire barrio and create more skyscrapers. And this kid's got to figure out a way to find the money to save the family home. And at first, that means working at the Cord Mansion as a cleaner. His sister is already there scraping gum off the lawn chairs, and for a day, he's going to try to do that work, too. I thought this was like a hotel they were at at first, because is Susan Sarandon sticking her gum underneath the table? That was a lot of gum (laughs) underneath that table. Maybe they're having a lot of parties or something that it felt very weird when it was revealed that this was someone's private house. I agree. I thought it was a resort. I think Millie's doing that. We see her take her gum out and then stick it under there for job security. So she's creating mess that she can then clean. Also, (laughs) probably why she's using the nice bathroom to take a shit, and then like, (laughs) oh, I guess we have to clean the bathroom. But yes, they are there at a key moment 
when Susan Sarandon's Victoria is going to blow back in and have a fight with her favorite niece, Jenny. Is Jenny from the comics, Jacob? Because I had a real problem that our main character is Jaime, which is spelled like Jamie, almost. Just flip the I and the M. We have Jamie and Jenny. And so in my notes, I was getting a little confused. The only way I was able to remember Jenny is Jenny from the block. That was how I kept remembering this character's name. Unless the Cord family was expanded on in, in some series I haven't read, like there's Ted Core, there's nothing about a Victoria or his kids or anything like that. Unless that came at some point where I missed it. And this is like a, I'll be generous, a C list superhero. Like I haven't read everything, but no, I'm not familiar. And I don't think there's an expanded Cord family in the comics. Yeah. Jenny is just like every millennial, right? Like she's dissatisfied with what the parents and the grandparents have done with their fortune, and she's horrified to learn that Victoria is using money to start up a program that her dad never would have approved of. If he were still alive, he would not want Omex to be the future of Cord Industries. And I would approve it because when they said Omac, I got super excited. One of my favorite Jack Kirby creations from the 70s, the one-man Army Corps, Presented a little bit differently, it's a janitor that just, like, gets really buff and a really tall mohawk and just, like, obliterates, like, sci-fi stuff in the future. But they have brought it back into, like, modern-day continuity where, yeah, there are these OMAC AI robots, but OMAC is one of my favorite ideas in the DC universe. I don't like what they do with it here, but that got me excited, that OMAC's coming back. Well, I mean, we get an infomercial, and to me, it's a little Vorhoven. It's a little... Robocop. Who is this commercial for? Again, I think that sometimes you just create press material. If you're launching a product, you know, think of Apple Day, right? Well, it, it leans into the weird, like, stereotype. You see this in movies all the time. They do it here when you go into, like, a big corporation's building in the lobby. It's like, Cord Industries is building a better... I've never worked at a place. I've never been to a business where they're playing promos in the lobby like this. Mm, I've seen them. I've been in some of these uh, places in L.A., how you present yourself is very important. And here, yes, we see the imagery tells us pollution, devastation, weapons of mass destruction. But Victoria is smiling and going, I love it because this creature, essentially like the Giger face hugger, is going to like wrap around your brain <laughs> and your spinal cord and you're going to just become Robocop. You're just going to become... The idea really is, if you look at the cultural here, if you're talking about Latino and all of that is... If you have been a part of the fear the police movement, this is your ultimate nightmare that we're going to have cops that are, yeah, one of them can take you all out. Well, we're going to see Victoria talking to, I think it's an army general or something, who's the one they're making this for, they're making this for the military. And I have read that this tech, not this exact tech where it fuses with your spinal cord, but like Iron Man suits... They could be developed to protect our troops, but the truth is, they cost too much. Troops are cheap, and Iron Man suits are expensive. And so this tech would never take off for Cord Industries, because the government just wouldn't want to spend that to protect the troops. We'll just make these into drones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we have drones, Jacob. Drones are the thing now. Hammer had it right in Iron Man 2. Yeah, which is essentially what they're talking about. An automated enforcement unit that if you're a fascist is like your dream of suppression like this is how you will crush your enemies and i think we're to experience it in that way when we see this spot but victoria loves it 
And I could complain that there's a lot of mustache twirling going on with Victoria, figuratively. Because, yes, this is so broad. The military-industrial complex, the brutal police are going to keep down the minorities. But the fact that you said it, Arnie, this is like a sitcom. This is like a family film. Stuart, you said it, broad strokes for the kids. Like, so I kind of just accept that. Like, once I realize what this is, okay, I'll go with these cartoonish depictions. Agreed. That's exactly how I'm trying to meet this movie is, oh, okay, I'm back in Ms. Marvel. This is an 80s sitcom fused with the identity of a Latino family that that has not been celebrated. Even now, we haven't had a lot of big screen, big budget depictions of Mexican-American life. So yeah, I'm trying to meet this movie and say, how's that going to work? How is that going to feel? And yes, so Jenny, in confronting her, her aunt, is almost attacked by Carapix, that he has this metal hand and maybe a metal leg. Again, we get the idea that he's at least half machine. He's going to do something physical, and because Jaime intervenes, he is fired, and she's going to get him a new job. And it's teased here that there may be a little bit of attraction there, that maybe Jenny was attracted to Jaime. I know Millie's going to make the jokes about it, but that romance is going to bud throughout this film. Yeah. Although she feels older to me than him. She does. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I just feel like she is like so much... He does feel like someone that could just be coming out of high school, and she feels like a woman that's heading into her 30s. But it's, I guess, all about how they present. Maybe that's what money does to you, is it gives you this higher status. But she feels out of his reach. And yes, does he have the nerve to reach out to her and ask for another job? We see him having a late night talk with his father, who I gotta say, oh my god, like, there's a lot of on-the-nose writing in this, but Alberto... (laughs) gives lines that Vin Diesel would be embarrassed to about family. It's all about family, guys. It's all about family. Oh, my God. Life is a journey. We go through it together. Things don't last, but family is forever. I wrote all these down, yes. Everyone has a purpose. You have to find yours. I'm like, oh, my God. And they just keep going. Like, the scene goes on for, like, three minutes of him just dropping more and more platitudes. I'm like, just one, please. Just one is all you need. This is where I was trying to picture this as a sitcom and not a superhero show is how would I feel about all of this family stuff and all of this trying to find a job and getting underemployed and all of that? Because it's going to take a while to get to the Scarab and this movie, it drags on for a bit for me and I'm finding this stuff. I'll keep using my word, average. It's okay. It's not great. It's not really enthralling me. I'm not loving this family. I'm not hating it. I'm not feeling like it's fingernails on chalkboard when the father has all of these cheesy lines. I'm just rolling my eyes a little bit. Kind of making me think of Shazam because Shazam was all about family too with the extended family, just not Hispanic. You're hitting all the references that I felt like it cribbed from too. (laughs) Yeah, and again, family is a good theme, but you don't want to ever have writing that is just so on the nose that you just keep stating very loudly, okay, this is your purpose. Again, if you don't like this family, you're not going to like this movie because they are the movie. I mean, when he goes for the job interview, we have all of this futzing around that the family is there dropping him off and chanting his name. And George Lopez is saying he looks like an asshole, like everyone else there. Again, if you don't love that stuff, I'm wondering what is here for you as a movie experience, because it is the movie. It is at the beginning. I will say 
if you're here for a superhero movie, you've got what will feel like a long wait before we get the scarab and the superhero stuff. All of Act One. Yes. There's 25 minutes before Jenny is sneaking into a top secret lab and grabbing the scarab that must have gotten out of that rock, we don't know, and put it in a burger container and handing it to Jaime and saying, you want a job? Here it is. Guard it with your life. I was so excited when she steals it from Dr. Sanchez, who I I do love the reveal about his name later on, but I know this actor because I watch What We Do in the Shadows, Guillermo, as he's called on that show. Guillermo. Yes, our girl's favorite character. Like, they love him so much. He's great in that show. He's not so great here. He doesn't have much to do in this one. He was also in a video game movie that Arnie and I reviewed earlier, Werewolves Within. Less a feature of his good comic timing. But yes, he can be a very funny performer. And here he's got the nutty scientist role of he was the one that was supposed to get the code out of the scarab. And now everyone's got to find the scarab. We're into act two. And all of Cord Industries is going to be hunting down this kid with this hamburger box with a MacGuffin inside. I felt for sure like this hamburger box would be a tie-in. Like, would this have a Burger King thing? (laughs) It's a big belly burger box. I don't think that's a real chain. No, not one I've heard of. I can't go to McDonald's and ask for the Blue Beetle meal. And I'm wondering if they didn't approach some fast food restaurants and they were like, wait, what, superhero? Why would we want to tie into that? Even Jack in the Box is like, nah. They sell tacos, so they could have totally done it. Like, maybe they were afraid to go into, like, a Taco Bell. They didn't want to be too stereotypical. Well, Burger King's known for changing the color of the bun. You think they could do a blue bun for Blue Beetle? Yes. That sounds disgusting, but yes. (laughs) Somebody could have if they thought this property were going to do more. And I think it's telling. This is coming out in August. And, you know, we've already had tons of superhero entertainment. And this is just not expected to be that kind of tie-in. Just to point out, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 came out in August. That feels like a long time ago, but yes. And they were also uncertain. That feels silly now, but they were also uncertain about the commercial prospects of that. So that was not a guaranteed hit either. You release your risks at uh, non-key times. And this is definitely a risk. But anyway, Jaime brings this box home for the family. Because again, the family and how they react to everything is the movie. And... There's a lot of passing it around, and is this a new Tamagotchi? Lots of yuck-yuck jokes. I thought that was a good line. And this is in the spirit of the original 2006 version of this character. Like, it was very family-oriented. They all knew his identity. They all participated. Now, that got all retconned when DC later once again rebirthed its universe, and, like, he was more of a Peter Parker on his own. No one knew his identity. But the original take of Jaime was very family-oriented like this. And I was thinking about you, Arnie, when we went and saw Superman 3, you, I mean, I was scared too, but you were like super scared when the computer grabs the woman and like turns her into the freaky woman. That kind of trauma times 10 when we see Jaime (laughs) actually turn into this blue beetle. This thing is going to scare your little children. You know what? It could. But I feel like they really undercut this with silly music. They're listening to some upbeat Mexican music at the house. And so this entire scary scene is completely ironically scored to this upbeat music that makes all of it feel more slapstick instead of scary. I was really surprised that you would have such a graphic visual with such a silly music. And it's, you find out it's Nana 
listening to that music on like a Walkman. I think she even has a cassette Walkman or something. It doesn't look like any MP3 player I've ever seen anyway. I dare you to take a five-year-old to this and tell him it's funny. There is no way. The little kids are going to be crying when his voice gets automated and his eyes go yellow and he's screaming and his clothes are burning off. And then he has that weird moment where he's looking at his reflection in a picture of the Virgin Mary. And all. I'm like, It's just a haunting, frightening moment. I don't care what song you play over it. This is damaging. I predict lots of trauma. <laughs> This is the modern day Superman 3. There, there's Stewart's pull quote. <laughs> yes. That if, if you wanted to know what, like, the things that traumatized you, like the Wicked Witch of the West or whatever you grew up watching that scarred you, Blue Beetle will be something that therapists will hear about in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I was surprised by the burning off of the clothes. We're going to get some Tim Story Fantastic Four nudity jokes here. Every time he has the suit, it's going to burn him off and then leave him naked. Yeah, they talk about his huevos, Nana. Yeah, but before that, we've got to see what this suit can do. It's going to blow through the roof. It's going to take him all the way up to space. And then we're going to see that there's this sentient voice that's not going to listen to him that's going to put him through a whole battery of tests. Yeah, I mean, they could have just cut to Iron Man. Like, this is where I've seen this all before. And like, look, this is a comic accurate suit and everything. But because this is coming out so late into the superhero craze, I felt like this was the Mark, I don't know, uh, 47 Iron Man armor. What's the difference? It's one of those. Iron Man has already made this suit. The blue armor made me think of Rescue Pepper Potts outfit from Infinity War or actually Endgame. But this was the trailer for the movie was the scene of him going up to space and then crashing back down. And I'm like, yeah, this is Iron Man. Although it's... Mixed with Spider-Man Homecoming is the movie I went to, because if you remember in Homecoming, he had the suit that wouldn't necessarily listen to him, that had all of those features and would have instant kill mode, and he's like, no, we're not a killer. You're going to have those exact scenes replayed here with Jaime in the suit. I mean, he cuts a bus in half, and that reminded me of Spider-Man causing that accident on the ferry that gets cut in half. It just feels like I've seen a lot of this before. Well, I have a little bit of sympathy for the filmmakers. How do you make something new? No, I agree. How do you blow people's minds? I would offer, again, this is for children that probably didn't see the original Iron Man, that weren't even alive when the original Iron Man came out. I mean, that was, what, 15 years ago? So yes, they're already rebooting Iron Man with a DC sheen. You can, I suppose, be indignant if you feel like it's proprietary. (laughs) This is technology that should not be given to another superhero but yeah if they want to give us a dc iron man i'm totally fine with that the problem is i want something new well shit then guess what you're in trouble yeah the new thing is this is a latino family that's the focus of the film yeah that's the new the new is that everything will be processed through the family and that they will be a part of everything and that is the only thing that i would say is innovative about this Which is why, if you're trying to do this, I mean, when you're making a Blue Beetle movie, you ask yourself, do we want to rip off Iron Man or do we not want to make this movie, is kind of how I see it, and they've chosen to rip off Iron Man. Again, and I don't think this stuff is bad when he's ripping the bus in half, and it all looks pretty good. It looks good, yeah. I'm surprised this thing, it looks better than something that would go straight to streaming. It has a better look than Ms. Marvel. I agree. For a hundred million budget, it looks really good. I at no point 
All right, one point when they're going to show a scene where they walk into a cavern filled with OMAC suits, that looked a little video gamey. But that was the only scene I had a problem with the visuals of this film. Other than that, it looks fantastic and shows you don't necessarily have to spend $400 million to get a good-looking film. Hell, it looks better than The Flash. And they just got, like, kids kind of jokes with a little bit of edge, like that these guys have obviously dropped acid or whatever, and then when Blue Beetle smashes the car in front of them, like, I think it just hit me, you know, like that. That's the level of sophistication you're going to get. And I know, again, my girls did not want to see this film, but they would have laughed at that because even though they're they're teenage, well, maybe especially because they're teenagers, mm-hmm. because like pot, there's just a different attitude about it these days. It's basically legal almost everywhere in the United States. Like they get those jokes. They're around those kind of jokes a lot more because it's just more acceptable. Like the kids would have laughed at that. It shows our age that we're like, has it hit you yet? And you and I, Stuart, both went to They Took Acid. But in California, edibles are legal. They might have just had some pot brownies. Yeah, I just took it as pot gummy bears. Like, everyone's always just popping those on the streets here. Again, uh, we're not going to define what drugs people are using, but we do know that kids are savvy. And yes, they're going to think that this is subversive, that you have a little moment like this, which feels so cliche, frankly. But I'm, again, trying to imagine this through unjaded eyes from someone that hasn't seen 150 superhero movies. I think that they would be having a good time. Me, I'm kind of shrugging and going, yep, I've seen all of this before. But again, the family, like, yes, we have Iron Man zipping around, but we cut back and see that dad is fixing the table that was broken. Nana is lighting a candle. Mom is on hold with the police. They're always going to be participating in whatever their son is doing. And they they get involved when he comes back naked. They're the ones trying to, you know, help him process that things will be okay. Again, that dad and all his cloying speeches about, we will get through this together. But they need Jenny. And that becomes pretty clear. Jaime decides that once he puts on the clothes, he's going to go save Jenny from some SWAT team and get her involved in getting this scarab out of his spine. Yeah, and this leads to kind of a unnecessary MacGuffin of this. She's like, we need to go get a key. So we have to go break back into Court Industries where there's all those gunmen waiting for them, which will, you know, Uncle Rudy will have a device that can block the most advanced of security systems with laser grids and photon emitters. I don't even know if that's a thing. That sounds like something out of Star Trek as the photon emitters. But he has a trampoline, I think he calls it, that will stop this. And it's just a way to keep Uncle Rudy around. Uncle Rudy, if you like him, then you're going to love him because he's always in this film. And if you hate him, he's jar-jarring it up. Mm -hmm. He is always helpfully giving you the line that will help you process what he's doing. I think he says, I'm the Mexican Doc Brown. And as soon as I hear that, I go, oh, okay. So he can do anything. He can come up with any device. He'll put the spin on it that you got to kick it first. But he has some doohickey in the back of his taco truck. And he can, yes, magically allow them to infiltrate a high-tech security skyscraper and get a smartwatch or something. Yeah, just to clarify, it's a pickup truck. If you say taco truck, I literally think it's going to be a truck that's going to sell me tacos. It's not a food truck. (laughs) Yes, it's a Tacoma. But they do call it the taco. And anyway, this is where we get the first battle, that because Victoria has been told 
that her niece has gotten away. The SWAT teams haven't been successful at killing her. She's going to send in Carapax to do his thing. Now, she doesn't need the code to have turned him into Cyborg, right? Like, he is going to be better because they're going to get stuff out of the Scarab. But she's already pretty close to having her military cyborg dreams. Yeah, I don't understand what the code does. That just helps, I don't know, make a suit? Yeah, he, it gets a more fuller suit and he gets like some laser weapons, I think. I think it's like nanotech. Yeah, that's what it looked like. The way Carapax is now is he's kind of like an early Iron Man. It's a suit that's built into him, but it can't really expand, whereas the Scarab can create anything at any time, much like the later Iron Man suits could, can reform itself and do all of that. That just seems like more of a mechanical engineering thing, though, than code. Code, to me, is like, that's how you program the AI for the suit, not build it. Yeah, exactly. So... It's, again, a MacGuffin that if you try to think too closely about, it's not going to make any sense. How do you download from an alien device anyway? How does that code execute on Windows 11? I mean, you love Independence Day, you tell me. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, why don't we ask uh, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith? They uploaded a virus, it's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, I can accept this, that there are two different ways you can be a mech. And Carapax is not as good. He gets his ass kind of handed to him. At first, Jaime is winning. As Blue Beetle, he is able to do things, but his struggle is that the suit wants to kill. It wants to go forward and, like, pull out a sword or pull out something that is going to totally kill this Carapax. And this young man does not want to have blood on his hands. It's a real Eddie Furlong Terminator situation. No killing. Repeatedly. We will not kill. No kill. It's going to be weird when Nana does kill because they push this no killing thing so much. But yeah, again, I appreciate that with this superhero stuff. Like, you are the strongest people, smartest people. Figure out different ways than just killing. I just want to point out, you got very mad at Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about you, Jacob, because you hate that the Snyderverse has so much killing and that Tim Burton's Batman killed people. But here, Jaime isn't in control. Jaime doesn't defeat Garabax. It's the suit. The suit is 100% controlling Jaime and doing absolutely everything. Jaime is only able to exert control when he says, we're not a killer. But the suit is right. I mean, Garabax is going to continue to be a problem. And yes, when Grandma is killing later on and things, they're killing lots of people. Yeah. Uncle Rudy's going to kill people. I'm like... Jaime should have probably killed Carapax here at the beginning. Yeah. Um, again, the messaging of this movie, while it might come out a little confused and talking out of both sides of its mouth, this is for impressionable minds, and they don't want impressionable minds thinking that killing is the answer. My question is more just uh, from the buddy movie kind of way. So we find out that this suit is the alien Kaja D? Kaja Day? Kaja Da. Although I feel like I'm now doing that song. Kaja dee, kaja da, kaja ha ha. <laughs> oh, I was doing oobla de oobla da, like Beatlemania kind of thing. But anyway, it is a popular singer right now. Becky G is a popular Latina. Who? Again, I'm talking. She's very hip with the kids. I'll have to ask my girls if they know who that is. <laughs> yes, Becky G is a thing. And they've given her this very impersonal airport terminal voice. 
that she's doing. She doesn't have any kind of like like banter with this guy. Like it's almost just like she's an automated machine voice. And I don't see that they work it out. In the end, the mom is going to tell the suit to get it together with her son. And then they're just in sync. But I don't feel like there's enough between Kaja Da and Jaime in this movie. You needed to work on that relationship a lot more than they do. Yeah, it's such a big deal that they're going to finally sink in the third act, and that should feel like a bigger deal than it is. Yeah, we should understand what both of them want in this middle part. I mean, just because I think this is going to definitely reference Black Panther later on, but that whole conflict was like militant response to white supremacy versus these people that just wanted to live in Africa and be peaceful. Like, you had this conflict between cultures that tied into real-life racial strife. And yeah, if you could have had, I don't know, if this is about DC's first Latino superhero, I don't know, you could play with that. I feel like we get that a little bit with Rudy. He's like, don't call the cops. They're going to call immigration on us. But there's something to play with there. I don't know if that's the way to go, but there's some way to play it. I don't even know what Kajada's stance is. I don't even know if, if she's processing his heritage. Why did she pick him? I guess I'll just make it really simple. We'll find out that this thing doesn't just attach to anyone that picks it up. It chooses a host. Why did she pick him? I don't think we ever understand that connection. And in the comics, this is alien tech. Aliens send this to planets to attach to someone who will then overthrow the planet. So yeah, bring in some kind of evil thing from the alien tech AI and he's conflicted with that. Again, they could have done something there. They don't though. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about Kaja Da that are just go unanswered, unsatisfyingly so. But we get a lot more of Rudy. Yes, if you wanted Rudy, he kind of saves the day by slinging that generator in the back of his truck and knocking Carapax out. And he even has some like extra clothes for Jaime to put on in the back seat. Have you forgotten about the moral of this film? It's about family because Carapax is also going to remind us like family makes you weak. I was going to bring it up at the end, but yes, <laughs> he says it here. And later in the film, that Jaime's weakness is his family. And <laughs> yeah, we, he will learn that lesson is incorrect. Are you going to be surprised when the family all teams up together at the end to save the day? Well, first, we need to find out about Jenny's family. Jenny takes them to her childhood home. Back when she was eight, she lived in this nice complex that has now gone to seed. And flamingos are wild and running around the courtyard. But in the basement of this place, we have the. What are we calling this? The Beetle Cave? <laughs> yeah, and just point out the Easter eggs. We'll see two suits on mannequins. One is that Dan Garrett original suit, and the other one is the Ted Cord DC suit. Yes. Rudy gets on the computer, and he does confirm some of that, that there was the first person to have the Beetle was a Dan Garrett. And they don't want to say it, but it sounds like it didn't leave him until he died. He died under some pretense, and that's when the Scarab went into that rock that had to be dug out, I guess. And this is actually reminding me then of Watchmen. When I see this lair, when I see these suits and this tech, I am thinking of Night Owl. I think that they did a pretty good pastiche with that. Yeah, and for sure when we see the bug. Yes. You could tell that this is what Alan Moore referenced Night Owl off of. Okay. Well, we might have an opportunity to get back to Watchmen. I, I, I just haven't thought about Watchmen. Watchmen felt like it was riffing on classic characters. And this character, I don't know if he feels classic so much as just grifted. It feels very much like, let's just do Batman with a beetle. 
And so he has this cave. Yeah, they say Batman with ADHD is how they explain his tack away. <laughs> yeah, that he has more sense of humor, that he isn't the fascist that I guess Ben Affleck was in the Snyderverse. I guess you could do the same thing as Batman as long as you make jokes and that makes you a good guy in Lopez's eyes. But the other thing is, he didn't want to make military tech and yet in his spare time he's making all of these weapons. Yeah. Mixed messaging. It's mixed messaging, but more to the point, I don't really understand what Ted did. Because we have no flashbacks of Ted, all we have is George Lopez saying, oh, I remember back in the day, this guy was kind of cool. Okay, but like, what did he do? We like him because Jenny liked him. Jenny makes a point of saying that my dad was a heroic figure, but he kind of neglected me. That I grew up lonely. And when my mom died, there was no one to take care of me because he was off doing the crime fighting. And it feels odd that they're, you pointed it out, they make a big deal like this scarab chooses its host. And Ted Cord had that scarab, but that has nothing to do with any of his tech. He was never able to connect to it for reasons that we will never find out here. It's like, I don't know, Green Lantern. Yeah, he found a ring, but that's not where he got his powers from. Like, he just made all his tech. It's bizarre. If Blue Beetle is Kaja Da. We learn absolutely nothing about Blue Beetle in this movie. But it's a young person's movie, and Jaime's falling in love. We have some comedy with him putting on a blue tracksuit from the 80s and almost kissing Jenny, and then Rudy interrupts, and nice jammies, all of that kind of funny stuff you'd expect to see in a Disney show. I was shocked, though, because I am thinking this is pretty kiddy when they almost kiss and Rudy interrupts. But then, when they leave the room... Jaime has to pull his shirt down to cover a boner that he was getting from kissing her. So I thought that was a little bit racy. Yeah, but I think you do that. Like, I think that that's the way you make a kid's film that sells to mass audiences is you throw just a little bit of edge in there to make it seem like more than a silly sitcom. But it's pretty much a silly sitcom. And I just want to reflect that. But one that I'm not hating. I just want to say middle of the movie at this point, and I'm kind of realizing that I'm not going to love this. It doesn't do the things that the superhero movies I enjoy explore, but feels pretty innocuous and going down pretty easy. Yeah, I was just going to say it goes down easy. <laughs> That's my compliment for it. Yep, exactly. Is It's not going to challenge you in any way, shape, or form, and it's going to be completely average. <laughs> I do feel like I start to chafe. It starts kind of here in the middle. And just the more that it goes back to the family, that we just have these same kind of like, I don't know what else to call them other than platitudes. It's time for Rudy now to give a pep talk. When Jaime realizes there's no way to get the scarab off him and he's stuck with it for life, you'd think that'd be a dialogue he'd have with Kaja Da. But instead, it's a George Lopez moment where he talks about bringing his dad over the border and. I just feel like in striving to bring in the cultural elements, not unlike with Ms. Marvel, when they were splitting the difference between a superhero and a Muslim-American family story, it's not always well integrated. You know, I do feel like this speech on the rooftop where he's trying to encourage Jaime not to give up is, again, just one of many, too many speeches that are kind of empty homilies. The line that killed me is said by Jenny when they're about to kiss. This house is full of stuff. Your house is full of love. Family. It's like, ah. Yeah, right. We had just had another scene of somebody doing that. Again, I just, 
it's like a hammer. I hear them hitting the theme again and again and again. And as the movie goes on, that hammering starts to give me a migraine. And I'll be honest, when it's Jaime and his uncle here and the, the piano music's coming in and it's slowing down, I kind of just tune out. I'm like, oh, I know what's coming. Here's the backstory. They're going to put their spin on it for the audience that this is being marketed to. I know what that spin is going to be because, look, that is a common story for many people from that culture. Like, I get it, but it just feels expected. Yes, it does. The fact that they are illegal, that he has to hide from immigration, it's kind of making me roll my eyes just a little bit. There's no reason to have inserted that detail. And, you know, it also, there's going to be a certain segment of the population that's going to recoil against cheering for a hero that doesn't have documentation. Here's the thing. What confused me, because it seems like this is in Miami now, the, the, most of the Latino people there are from Cuba who are very Republican, very anti-immigrants. That's what confused me is like, oh, you're putting this in Miami, which is a very different cultural setting than Hispanics in like LA, where yes, a lot of them did come illegally over the border and that. Yeah, I mean, here's what I would offer. If this movie wanted to get into that, I welcome it because that is something that I think just culturally we need to have a dialogue about. Yeah. There's so much negative finger pointing and name calling and nobody really willing to get into that issue in a nuanced way. Let's have popular entertainment. That's when movies like this can really excel. But that's not really the villain of this movie. It's not really what this movie is about. It feels stuck in. No, and that's why I'm saying Black Panther did this better. It tackled a lot of those cultural issues in a more mature way with more nuance. Yeah, I feel like you either do more of it or not at all. The way that they do it here, it just sounds kind of, again, platitudes is the word I just keep grabbing. It's just like these are kind of empty, hollow statements that aren't going to change the needle where anybody's at. Meanwhile, Victoria's people are going to go attack the family, thinking Jaime might be at home. They're going to have this scene of all the troops raiding the house, and Jaime's going to try to fly there in time, but it's going to be a little bit too late because one of the things that was dropped earlier, they not only lost the business and lost the house, Dad had had a heart attack previously, and they hadn't told Jaime, and this is going to be too much stress for Dad. He's going to have another heart attack and die. Absolutely nobody does CPR on him. I keep wondering, could he have survived this if somebody did CPR? Well, not CPR. I mean, you take him to a medical facility. Yeah, I don't know if that works on a heart attack, but yeah. Exactly. But you could have shown him more attention. But is it the fact that he's undocumented? He didn't want to go to the hospital? Again, I don't know why he doesn't get the care he needs. But yes, more importantly, they just want to blow everything up. Quite literally, one of Nana's candles tips over and burns the place. It actually explodes. It doesn't just burn down. It blows up. Which I was so confused. They're like, we've lost our home. Like, maybe it's their possessions, but I'm like, you're getting kicked out. You complain they raised the rent. You're being evicted. Like, you're losing that home. It's not even yours. Like, if my house burned down after I left it, I wouldn't care. Like, it's not my house. I just rent. Well, they were fighting to keep that house, or at least Jaime was fighting to keep that house. And he does blow in here. He does show off the full range of powers that because his family is in jeopardy, I think what I hear is that anger is actually the fuel for the suit. It's the way that he connects to Kajada, that the anger will actually allow him to do cool things. Like, I really like the moment when it's like bowling pins. He's got this boogie board, and he blows in and knocks all of the SWAT team down. He yells, oh my god, I'm bulletproof, 
Wasn't that in Shazam 1 when they're trying to figure out all of his powers too? I'm like, this is just the same stuff I've always seen. But what do you do, Arnie? I mean, I want to address that because I think we're all feeling that. That this is nothing new. Superhero fatigue is real. Try to do something new. I'm gonna, not going to say superhero fatigue. I'm going to say uncreativity fatigue. But can you really do anything new that we haven't seen before? If you can't, then why do you do this? Because you want to make money? Because this is an industry? Because there is always new audiences that haven't seen what we've seen? So there are fresh eyes that can be impressed. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when the new version of All Quiet on the Western Front came out and my daughter watched that and fell in love with it. She's like, this is great. It's amazing. And I saw it. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. I've seen a a lot of anti-war films. She's like, oh, well, this is my first one. I'm like, okay, then that would be really special to you. I get that. So yeah, there's always that possibility that like this is going to be someone's first experience. And probably should be. Yes. (laughs) The ones that are going to love this movie the most are the ones that have only seen a handful of superhero films. Young, young people. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And I think that's going to be a minority. Well, maybe, but generationally speaking, this film can be found on streaming platforms in years to come. It might bring people together to say, yeah, that was the movie that I connected with. Who knows? It's not for me to determine this movie's ultimate cultural impact, but I will agree with you. We see him go through a lot of powers, and every single power I can cite as being somebody else's, some other hero's thing. He is not an original in any way. And does that bug me? Well, no pun intended. It doesn't (laughs) endear me. I'll put it that way. The endearing part is the family. Even having the family, though. Again, we saw that with Shazam. The only thing that makes this character unique is the color of his skin, and that's reductive. No, I mean, I think Latino culture and the way that it celebrates family is something that has not been shown. A foster family is very different from a Mexican-American family. It's nuanced, but I do think that this is a first in that way, and I think you can appreciate that. That could mean something to you. I won't take that away from somebody, but I feel, as someone that came here to, to be wowed by a hero, I'm not being wowed. I think the movie looks fine. I think it's doing the familiar kinds of moments. Inspiration. It's lacking in a whole lot of inspiring moments for me. Like, I just feel like every time they want to, again, rather than being a moment of authenticity, it feels like they're going back and hitting a gong and going, okay, family, family, family. And so that the dad dies is not wringing tears from my eyes. The fact that the house burns is like, well, yeah, they'll build it again at the end. And it'll probably be some like super cool pad for next time. And this is where. I get one comic booky thing that feels a little out of place is Victoria and her goons show up in a flying hovercraft and they grab the claw is what they call it. And I'm like, well, that's going to be some kind of energy weapon. Why are they calling it the claw? No, it's literally like that claw game that you put the dollar in and try to get the stuffed animal out in the vestibule at Walmart. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was shocked they got him on the first try. You usually have to sink like 20 bucks in to get a stupid stuffed animal. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, they've captured our hero. I mean, this is a familiar trope in the superhero things is we get the hero captured, put on some kind of gyroscope thing, and Dr. Sanchez is going to feel guilty that he now has to drain the code from this guy and kill him. 
But draining the code doesn't kill him. I mean, they could drain the code and leave him alive. It's that they also want to remove the scarab, and that means killing him. But they're going to download the code first, and then kill him, and take the scarab for reasons because Susan Sarandon is primeval. Yeah, I think that she sees everything as disposable. We will see that when Sanchez dies, she's like, we'll get another doctor. We can get another anything. No, she says, we'll get another Sanchez. And that's not even his name. Mm-hmm, right, exactly. So, yes, she's just someone that doesn't appreciate, doesn't see value in those around her, that they're all just transactions. And I definitely think that that can happen when you have too much money and too much power. But this is where I'm thinking of you, Stuart, because you did come to mind. The family is going to go to rescue Jaime, and Grandma is now going to give the speech to rally them and say, we'll have time to grieve, but this is what Dad would have wanted. And then where I thought of you, Stuart, is Grandma gets a Gatlin gun. There's plenty you don't know about Nana. She was a revolutionary. She starts cackling. And my note is, and Stuart, you may prove me wrong, but I'm like, Stuart is going to hate this. I don't love it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, uh, let me put it this way. It was one of the few laugh moments in my small audience. I felt like they were pretty quiet throughout. But when she gets a gun as big as she is, and later when she's mowing down SWAT people, I heard some appreciative chuckles. They weren't like roaring with laughter. But I think people were like, <laughs> because the idea of an old, it's just, uh, Stel Getty would approve, right? <laughs> the idea of an old lady with a gun is some comic gold that you can make an entire movie out of, I guess. And just when she's like, oh, I got a background you don't know about because this is such broad strokes about Latino culture. I'm like, oh, she was a revolutionary in South America or something. I know. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that it's not interested in exploring it speaks to the level of sophistication this movie is at. Like, we're going to make very broad jokes and generalizations. I'm just so mad that, like, when the sister gets a power glove, they don't quote the wizard. I thought for sure, it's so cool, or whatever that line is. Like, how do you not do that line? Do I love the idea of a family rushing in and being a part of the superhero team? It still feels relatively new. I will say, yes, Shazam, okay. But uh, for the most part, this isn't something that I normally see. And so I guess it is the identity of Blue Beetle. I think it marginalizes Kaja Da. I'm just going to keep emphasizing I have no relationship with this alien that is the tech. Because she's not family, Stuart, and this is about family. I guess not. Look, we talked a lot about needle drops this year. And I've said, like, Thor, Love, and Thunder, not a big hair metal fan, not a big Guns N' Roses fan, but every once in a while... There's a song I do like, and I do like this Motley Crue song. When they come flying in with the bug, this scene's got a lot of energy. I've been kind of bored and disconnected just because I know everything that's going to happen in this movie. It's so familiar, but good rock soundtrack, good fun scene with, like, whenever George Lopez could be in this, I feel like it's a benefit so that he's leading the family in on the bug. Like, this is fun stuff. I love when it starts crawling around on his legs. Yeah, but I don't really associate Motley Crue with Latino culture. That was weird. That was like the one, because then they're going to go to Cypress Hill, which does have like Latino members in it. So like, I was trying to wonder, does, is Nikki Six Hispanic or something? Like, who in Motley Crue is Hispanic that they decided on the song? But hey, it's not Beastie Boys, so I love it. You know, Mick Mars is questionable origin of all kinds of types, but I love this. I've got to say, 
were this the 90s and they still put out soundtracks, I'd probably buy this even though I already own every song I love in this. <laughs> I'm sure you have all the Motley Crue songs. <laughs> and all the Cypress Hill, so. <laughs> anyway, yes. You know what? They're doing the things that I would expect at this point of a family sitcom superhero show. I never. What was the one with Kurt Russell? I never saw that one. Sky High, excellent film. Okay. I imagine Sky High feeling a lot like this. This is just my mind of what a family movie about superheroes would feel like. Sky High is actually a little deeper than this, surprisingly. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to cut. We've covered every superhero movie. I'm sure we'll get to that one. But in my mind, I'm of two, I guess I'm of two minds. On one hand, I'm going, yeah, they're doing all these tropes in a very competent way. And a new generation is going to love it. And then I'm going to say, but I'm so alone. <laughs> I'm so bored. I don't need any of this. And it's pandering and silly. I feel that conflict too. Me three. I'm right there with you, Stuart. I am having fun with George Lopez, though. Again, that no killing goes out the window with George Lopez because that bug is going to impale troops and they're just going to get <laughs> stuck on the leg and as they walk. Who's the fascist now, George? <laughs> I guess he tells jokes, so it's okay, according to his logic. <laughs> yeah, so they're basically this bug ship, which is a spaceship? No, this Ted Kord made this. This is his millionaire technology, like Batman. Okay, all right, all right. But anyway, they've figured out that Jaime's being held at this island off the coast of Cuba, and they're busting him here. And at the same time, Jaime is almost drained and has, oh God... A final moment with Dad that just, oh, please. Oh, my God. Stuart, another culturally relevant film, Black Panther had this scene, so why wouldn't you crib this? I went straight to Black Panther. I'm like, oh, this is T'Challa, like, seeing his dad on that mystical plane. Hell, even Deadpool 2 had this scene. Remember Deadpool saw his dead <laughs> wife? Look, I get that you want to reflect people that you've lost and how they've impressed you. You do not want to have five minutes of... This is not your time. You have to go back. This is your purpose. Time to accept your destiny. I will always be with you. I stopped writing down all the lines at this point. <laughs> May the force be with you. There's no place like home. Remember the Alamo. Just do it. Your finger looking good. I mean, every slogan imaginable comes out of this man's face at this point. I know. I'm just rolling my eyes. I'm loving it. Truthfully, if I were to not recommend this movie, and we'll see if I do, this is the moment. This is the one that would make me red arrow it, is that they hit this cliche. <laughs> yeah, he is in this dream house, his actual house, not burn. And it's actually beautifully lit with all these candles and all of that. And he has, again, the point is that he finally has the okay to embrace this as his destiny. He doesn't have to be a lawyer. He doesn't have to raise the money to save the family home. He just has to look out into outer space, see that blue beetle suit and fuse with it. And this is the moment where that happens. Yeah, Susan Sarandon, I think, tells us they're sinking and we see their, like, waves, like, lining up. Yeah, Sanchez at this moment realizes there's nothing that can be done to separate the two. And so he kind of has a hero moment here. He feels bad that this young kid is going to have to be killed. So he pushes him out of the room, breaks the door, declares to Sarandon his true full name <laughs> dramatically. I did not catch all of it, but he's got a very long name, and then he is shot. He is killed. You talk about traumatizing. Yeah, you see that door close, and there's this window in it, and you just kind of see splatter go, and I'm like, ooh, that was kind of gruesome. Especially since not Sanchez was smiling. He was so proud of his heroic act, 
and he's so happy. And then you see the splatter. I was like, wow, that is brutal. Yeah, a little bit. Again, tone is a, a weird thing in this movie. It's mostly light. And I don't think that anything here is too dark. But there are things like the transformation scene and maybe this moment where I'm like, but your kids are going to cry and they are going to need therapy. And Carapax is now 100%. He's super Mac. Susan Sarandon pats him on the shoulder and says, good luck, go get him. And yeah, he's going to race into a climax where it's mech versus mech. Yeah, two men in Iron Man suits, one with an electric whip. Oh, okay, we're in Iron Man 2 now. Yep, I was thinking that exact same thing. In fact, I thought it earlier when Carapax was in that partial suit, it was reminding me of Whiplash. And I'm like, is he going to pull out a whip? And he didn't. And then he saves it here at the end. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I wondered if there'd be a whip in this movie. Yeah, because once is never enough, he's got to get Blue Beetle down, break his faceplate off, and tell him, family is your weakness. And because George Lopez is watching from a nearby wall and throws a rock or something, that's proof that family actually can be an asset. And isn't this a powerful moment, this dialogue between Jaime and this AI and teaching her not to kill and now she's the one stopping him from killing because we've loved this relationship between him so much like this could have been a powerful moment like between terminator and eddie furlong but like no it's not it's just yeah you flip the roles now now she's accepted we don't kill the handling of kajada is this movie's worst sin that is the thing that it really fumbled the most but yes we see that jaime uh, yes anger does fuel him and he would have killed this guy had the suit not been more in sync with him. It should be said, he also thinks Uncle Rudy is dead, and that's like what's made him so furious. But I knew Uncle Rudy wasn't dead because this film... You can't kill George Lopez! This film plays to every cliche, and you wouldn't kill two family members. You already killed the father, you're not going to also kill the uncle. Yeah, and they're all running around. Millie has got her power glove, it creates a giant hologram fist, sometimes a shield, and... She's having fun. Nana's got her big gun. The only one that really doesn't is the mom. She's just kind of sitting in the ship. She's driving, I think, towards the end or something. Yeah, but she doesn't get the the hero moments that everyone else does. No, she's going to yell at the suit to work with Jaime. That's going to be her big moment is just an emotional one. Did you recognize her, though? I was like, I know that actress. Where do I know her from? She was the sole survivor of the village that Arnold and his gang raid in Predator. The female that gets on the choppa. Okay. Do we need to bring Brock on? Is this an unofficial sequel to Predator? <laughs> it is not, because this mother doesn't do anything. But Jenny does. We will see she got captured here in the climax, and Victoria's putting her on the choppa and telling her, why do you work with these horrible people, and you should be loyal to your family, which is me. And Jenny... Spits out some kablooey gum that turns into a inflating cushion. They showed us that gum earlier. Yeah, Chekhov's gum. They set it up that it was something her father built for her. And it's going to save her from falling out of a flying helicopter. This is a real, like, Disney kids moment, this bubble gum. Like, this is where they go real Shazam. It made me think Willy Wonka. Like, this is some gum you'd see in that movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we got a Wonka prequel coming out later this year. Maybe it will be in it. But yeah, she, the point is what her role in all of this stuff is that she gets the code away from Auntie. That Susan Sarandon, again, was dismissive. She looks down and there's her henchman getting the shit beat out of him. And shouldn't that matter to her? Eh, I got the code. I can make a new henchman. 
no thing matters to her. Everything is disposable. So it's satisfying that Jenny's going to get that coat away, and now she's totally defeated. With one step of her foot, she smashed the cell phone that had all of the solutions to this woman's needs. And how do you know that's going to happen? Because Susan Sarandon goes on for like a full minute. This has the code. As long as I have this, I have everything I need. <laughs> yeah, I found it hilarious. Like, you don't got backup servers for that code. We just smashed this one thing and it's gone forever. Because they brought in OMAC. There's this poster that Jaime has on his door that says the eye, which really stuck out to me because I love OMAC. And the thing is, there is Brother Eye, this satellite in the sky, that is the thing that transforms him into OMAC in the comics. So I am wondering, like, is there going to be a Brother Eye that this code got uploaded to if we ever get a sequel to this? And speaking of the OMAC suit, during that final fight, Jaime pulls out this giant sword, and I've never seen the anime, but it reminded me of Kamen Rider, the blue suit, the big sword. I've seen the toys, and so I'm just thinking Kamen Rider as he's doing this huge thing. But yeah, this whole thing has an anime feel to it. Which the kids love anime these days. So I that's probably intentional. You want to lean into that. Anime or Morphin? I feel like to me, this feels more like the Morphin Power Rangers. I mean, Kamen Rider is like the original Power Rangers. It goes back to like the 80s, maybe even the 70s. It goes quite a ways back in Japanese culture. But look, kids love anime these days. This, this, you go to any anime convention or cosplay thing, like, there's giant swords like this everywhere. It's just a common thing. Yes. But in this movie, they're not going to get used. Instead, tell me why Carapax is just going to unlock his memories. Yeah, Kajada at some point learned his backstory and shares those memories. That's what turns Jaime from killing him, is that Carapax is a victim, too. That he was a child soldier during these revolutions and... Yeah, was turned into this monster. His mom was killed too. We had seen that locket earlier. Like, he is sympathetic as well. Okay, so it's Kaja Da really that has the final. Again, I wish I could track that character. I wish it was a character. Yeah. <laughs> and Sarandon, Victoria, she saw the locket and swooped it up and grabbed it. It was like, eh, you won't be needing that. I'm going to pocket it because I don't want you remembering that you were little Ignacio that had a mom that probably died because we bombed her. That is what happened. Yeah, it seems like Victoria was there when the hut was exploded, and she might have even hit the button. She references that they were going after anti-communist soldiers in South America, read our history, we did a lot of that. So it's somewhat satisfying that Carapax is going to just grab her, drag her away, and then explode with her, take her out as everyone else gets away on the bug. Because everyone can kill except Jaime. That's the only one that cannot kill. Yes. Yeah, I understand the logic of that. You wouldn't want children to learn that that is the way to accomplish your goals, if this is a kid's film. But Rudy's not going to die. Rudy, for reasons, is just going to show back up alive, saying bad weed never dies. But Victoria does. Carapax drags her into the fire. Group hug, you know, and they include Jenny in it. I think that's the symbolic thing is in the end, Nana said it was not a time to cry the morning after the house burned, but now we can be a family. We can mourn our losses. We can go back to the neighborhood and we can rebuild again. We can take the cactus that was planted when we had those kids and replant it so that it can bloom again. Did they just come back from the dad's funeral? They're all dressed in black. And where did they get clothes? Didn't all their clothes burn up? The community walks in to bring them food. I guess they got loaned black clothes. 
Yeah, I had to eye roll that. Like, okay, yeah, all this casserole and Tupperware is really going to help them in this moment. We're not hungry. We have no home. But all right. Yeah, I thought they'd be bringing tools. I thought they'd be bringing ways to rebuild the house. But you know what? Maybe they did just come from a funeral because when family members die, neighbors bring casseroles. That is what they do. You are just chock full of casseroles. Yeah, I get it. I know. I, I think that there's... There's a cultural relevance to that. I mean, I think it's on point with something. It's just a funny image to be like, yay, we're going to rebuild. I'm like, what? You're going to literally make it bricks of Tupperware to rebuild this house? (laughs) Yeah. Also, get your landlord to rebuild it. You don't own that thing. It's not your responsibility. Or Jenny. You know, Jenny's the deep pockets that is telling the press, oh, I'm changing the direction of the company. No more weapons. And we're going to help communities like Edge Keys. She can build this house. Let him go live in Ted's old mansion. I don't know. I'm thinking about that Jim Cramer cameo from Iron Man 1. A weapons company that doesn't make weapons. That stock has got to be tanking. <laughs> yeah. What they will be doing with that technology, the alien, I presume the alien tech will still be relevant. But she says she's going back to her that childhood home. And if she gets there, she'll find out that her dad is still alive, sending her messages through the computer. This is the mid credit stinger. Yeah, mid credit scene. To All Out of Love by Air Supply, that was a strange <laughs> insert from the soundtrack. Again, they talk about the dad being gone 15 years, not 40. <laughs> I don't know why there's so much 80s here. So here, here, here's my theory that we'll probably never get a sequel to this. So who knows? But And, and I don't know everything that's been announced by Gunn. But Ted Core, the Blue Beetle... He loved teaming up with another character named Booster Gold, who was a dude from the future that was just a regular guy that steals a bunch of, like, superhero stuff from a museum in the future and then travels back in time so he could be a superhero because he wants to be popular. And they go on a bunch of adventures. Again, I love these D-list heroes. They're my favorite. And so I'm wondering, I don't know if a Booster Gold thing has been announced anywhere, but I am wondering, because Ted Cord is so associated with that character, is he lost in time somewhere with Booster Gold? Yeah, it does seem like there was a staticky, out-of-time, quantum realm kind of vibe happening on that computer. So he's been trapped somewhere, and it's not on Earth. I'll go with that. Then we get this end stinger, which, okay, brings me back to when George Lopez, Uncle Rudy needed to block the signal feed on the card industry cameras. He chose this stop-motion Gumby-looking thing. This is a creation of the movie, right? There is a red grasshopper from the 70s, but it was just literally a Mexican man in spandex. Yeah, like Bumblebee Man from The Simpsons. Yeah, yes, exactly. I didn't even know that that's where it came from. Like, all of this, I'm having to do a deep dive after this movie. You gotta grow up in L.A., Stuart. Like, a common thing on television out here. I never knew why The Simpsons had that character, and now I understand that they were referencing a 70s Mexican kid show superhero who was also a bug. Okay, slow this down for me. The claymation we're seeing in the movie is created for the movie, but it's based on a real live-action TV show from the 70s? Yeah, for the live-action stuff we saw earlier in that security room. No, that was stop-motion in the security room, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, I just got so excited to see that. It just flushed myself with memories of watching that show in high school for my Spanish class. I got excited. I'd forgotten about that guy. But you watched a live action show. Live action, yes. Yeah, I think it only existed as live action from like 1970 to 1980. For a decade it ran. And then I guess it has come back in the last five years 
as animated, but more like traditional 2D cell-drawn animation, not like this 3D claymation Gumby look. But, you know, George thinks it looks sexy. For some reason, it ends with him going, <laughs> oh, that's sexy. That's the stinger. I think it's super confusing if you don't get the references. So, Jacob Stewart, is this sexy? Do you recommend Blue Beetle? Jacob. People, you've heard our critique. This is where I get frustrated with these recommends sometimes because there is nuance and now we have to make a binary decision. If they remade Iron Man every year and just had slight variations, would like we keep recommending that year after year after year after year or just watch the first one? Like that is the dilemma here. And ultimately, like I see this film and I place it somewhere between Ant-Man 3 and Shazam 2. This is a kids family movie that is the audience for this if you are a hardcore superhero fan you've seen this all before you probably don't need to see this unless you just love dc or just love the blue beetle or something like that but as a family film you got want something to take your kids to you're gonna have some laughs like i liked ant-man 3 because it had a lot of goofy alien stuff and that was fun but again that that's honey i shrunk the kids basically this isn't as boring as i found shazam 2 again yeah, it's fine as a family film. If you need something, you're like, we're having our first hurricane since like 1939 here in LA this weekend. And I don't know, maybe the theaters are a safe place. You want to take your family to you. Sure, go see it, I guess. Hardcore comic book fans, you're probably not the audience for this. And that's okay. Like, you could appeal to anyone. So I'm going to give it a green arrow, but like, you've heard the conditions. Like, good family film. We've seen this all before, but your little kids will enjoy this, I think. Jolo, like the same reason he works on Cobra Kai. He's got presence. He's got charisma. I enjoy seeing him. I was never, despite knowing everything that was going to happen in this, I wouldn't say I was bored to the point where I wanted to walk out. Like it always brought me back in with some joke or that bug crawling around, smashing people. Like it was good enough. So I'll give it a mild green arrow under those conditions. Stuart. Yeah, right there with you in the feeling of being of two minds and, and seeing the positives and negatives, almost equally weighed. On one hand, yeah, certainly in thinking in terms of this and Ms. Marvel, I think this one's better than that. If you just need a family sitcom superhero thing, DC has won that battle. They've given you the same appealing brown lead, trying to integrate family and superhero identities with broad comedy. The, the reason why this one's better is they have the budget and the actor that can do the physical special effects. The superhero stuff is actually solid on this. It looks like a real movie, whereas Ms. Marvel, every time it had to do the kung fu, just, it was losing. That only worked as the family sitcom. It didn't work as the superhero show. And so, yes, I endorse it as a family superhero sitcom, but how do I feel about it? I can't deny that I am left incredibly cold by its uncreative plastic presentation. As sentimental as it wants to be about family, I don't really care about any of these characters. It's like saying, I want to celebrate Cinco de Mayo by going to Taco Bell. You know, it's just like this inauthentic, not very flavorful, like probably it will lead to problems later. I won't feel good consuming this. In the end, I could be convinced either way, green or red. It's kind of both at the same time. Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's beetle, <laughs> if you will. How young are the kids that you're bringing to this film is whether it's green or red, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
ultimately you need me to give you a color. And so I'm going to go on the opposite of you, Jacob. I'm like, I'm going with like how I feel about beetles, which is I can sit there <laughs> or bugs, you know, I can rationalize and be like, oh, there's a spider. He helps control the insect population. <laughs> He's not doing any harm. He's not poisonous. I could leave this here. I could live with it if I wanted to. But nine times out of 10, when I see a bug, I squash it. And so that's what I'm going to do, Blue Beetle. Mild, not recommend. And like you guys, I don't really have strong feelings about this movie. I have said it again. It is exceedingly average. If I were giving it a performance review on a scale of one to five, it is a straight three. Meets expectations. Does not exceed any expectations. It's not below expectations. Just right there on the line. You did it. You made a movie. Yes. <laughs> a movie that some people are going to probably like. I just want to add, but not me. A movie some people will like and a movie some people will be bored by. And a movie that some people may hate for political reasons. I mean, I think every movie somebody's going to like and somebody's going to hate. I mean, even House of the Dead 2 has some fans. But if you're reviewing for a mass audience, I think I can say pretty unqualified, most people under the age of 12 will probably dig this. Maybe if they're not bored by all the family stuff and the talky stuff in between long stretches before there's more action. But an average movie gets an average week recommend. Here's the thing. If you ask me in a year a question about Blue Beetle, I'm not going to remember this movie. <laughs> I'm going to be like, did I recommend Blue Beetle? I probably did because I have no negative feelings. Yeah, I'll remember the Flash stuff and babies in the microwaves. I don't know what I'll remember from this. <laughs> yeah, I might remember something that looks like Common Rider, which was also in the trailer. But, you know, fine. If you need a movie to go to, you can do worse. Weakest of recommends. But yet, still, I'd say hitting par... For the Snyderverse, I've recommended most of the Snyderverse. It's one of the better Snyderverse films. <laughs> I mean, it's lighthearted, and that's kind of refreshing still, but it's not as good. Not as good as Shazam or The Flash. Not even as good as Batman v Superman. Well, that one was darker. Again, I'm trying to meet it with the, like, we're doing something tonally softer and lighter because that dark stuff isn't as marketable, I guess. It's where they started avoiding it. They started by saying, we want to make Christopher Nolan, an entire universe. And then they were like, eh, maybe we want to brighten it up with silly characters like The Flash and Shazam. And Blue Beetle is not as good as them. It might be as good as Shazam 2. It's probably as good as Shazam 2. But I wouldn't say that they've created the best lighthearted character in their roster. And I wouldn't be sad if he came back or if he didn't. I'm rather ambivalent about whether he continues on to have any more adventures. I tend to think that it would probably be on television, that it won't be another theatrical release. Yeah, I don't see the box office of this being so good that they're going to want to do the mental gymnastics to include this in a new universe and not in the Snyderverse and try to suck it over the way James Gunn has implied that they might. I think that this is one and done. If they did another one, I wouldn't be excited. I wouldn't be dreading it. It wouldn't be like I am with The Nun 2 where I'm like, oh God, I got to go back for that one. But I certainly wouldn't be like I am with Saw 10 where I'm like, oh yes, I get to finally revisit that. Yeah, I saw this was tracking below The Flash, below Shazam 2, which not good numbers. Again, I think there's an audience. I think there's appeal. I think there will be a generation that gravitates and latches onto this movie, fuses with it. But in the end, 
they'll be served by a future cartoon or something like that. It just won't come back in a way that we will ever have to watch it again. That's my (laughs) wish, hope, and actual belief. But we're not done with the Snyderverse yet. We have one more go in this damned voyage of a film universe. Aquaman 2, supposedly coming out at Christmas. Will it ever come out? (laughs) They were doing reshoots right up till the actor strike, so maybe? I mean, they've shot enough probably for five movies. Like At this point, just release it. I mean, they have a cut. My brothers went to a test screening, so there's a cut. Amber Heard's in it. That's the problem, right? Amber Heard. We can't deal with the fact that it's got the villainous of the year in a project where she's supposed to be a sidekick. But yes, Aquaman 2 should be polishing this off at the end of the year, and and that'll probably be uh, one of our last releases of 2023. DC will then morph into whatever it's going to be in the Gunnerverse. I think starting with Superman, they're talking about. As for now playing... We have another theatrical release coming out this weekend that we will be reviewing next Tuesday. We're returning to the Now Playing Arcade with what could be, I'm hoping, the best movie in the Now Playing Arcade, Gran Turismo. I'm curious as to why you would think that this could be one of the best. I know it's been a shit franchise, but this doesn't look like an oasis. It's not even an adaptation. This is more of a Tetris thing. I guess this is based on a real story, which blew my mind because I thought it was the dumbest plot when I saw the trailer and (laughs) thought it was made up. Yeah, I thought it was a rip off of Flight of the Navigator, (laughs) but it turns out it's based on a real story and it's from director Neil Blomkamp. I've liked everything he's done. So that gives me hope. Yeah, but he's really fallen since District 9. Yeah, I, I, I think you're holding on to a lot. I, <laughs> I hope I don't hate it, is I guess where I'm, I hope it's better than Uva Bowl films. I think the video game franchise has been hard, and the fact that they're dumping this at the end of August is not a good sign. But yeah, there could be things to enjoy about it. And certainly we don't get a story every day that tells us video games are the way to learn how to be adults. Hey, I had a roommate in college who swore he'd be able to land a jet because he was so good at Top Gun on Nintendo. Hey, you know what? I bet landing a real jet is easier (laughs) than landing in Top Gun for Nintendo. Maybe these days, (laughs) yeah, with all the AI to help you. I don't know. I've played a hell of a lot of Spider-Man on the PlayStation. Does that mean I can swing through New York City? Go for it. Try it. (laughs) In the meantime, if you are an August patron, we got a different kind of action movie for you this Friday. A classic. 1954, Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai. Just the greatest Japanese film ever made. No big deal. This has been highly requested, and it ended up being picked by one of our patrons, but a lot of people have requested that we go back and review this Kurosawa film that is one of the inspirations for Star Wars. So I've never seen it. I'm looking forward to it and getting a chance to finally visit this movie. I've had the Criterion Blu-ray in my collection for years, but I've not had a chance to put it in. I've been a little busy watching video game movies and... Yeah, you gotta watch Uva Bowl and No Time for Kurosawa. Exactly. So I'm looking forward to it and hope you can all join us this Friday if you're a patron of $10 or more on Spotify, Apple, Patreon, or Podbean. That $10 donation gets you all of our patron-exclusive reviews. We have about 80 of them, and the latest one is going to be Seven Samurai. Please join us. Please support independent podcasting. We could greatly use your support. I don't know if I'm doing this movie any favors about like seeing this as a reference point before we get into the Expendables or not. But yes, 
once we get into the Expendables. I think so many of modern action movies take from Kurosawa and Seven Samurai. So it'll be it'll be rewarding just to take that deep dive back into film history. Hope you can join us. So thank you for listening to Now Playing this week. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. Santiago, thank you for editing this week. Much appreciated. And until next time, justice has been served. I've seen worse. Where? You don't want to know. Okay, what the hell is this thing? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there? You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah, I, I need friends. And in the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. This may be the only thing I do with the matters. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my cake. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. We need you, and maybe you need us. Support from listeners like you. Help keep Now Playing operating. It'd be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. You got your money's worth. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Everything in your psychological profile tells me you have what it takes to be a leader. Associate produced by Jason Latham. It is the burden of this responsibility that will define you and who you choose to be. Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. I completely broke the universe. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Sorry, the voices. I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. Now Playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Today, 
is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2023. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Oh, wow, they just, they really just vanish. Huh? Oh, that's rude. So who's helming this? I always try to make a point of hunting down the director's previous work, seeing why you got this gig. I couldn't. Angel, is it Angel or Angle? I would say Angel. Okay. Because uh, Arnie did some weird inflection thing. You said like Angle or something like that. I said Angle. Okay. Is that what it is? It's typically Angel. Like That's a common... I agree. <laughs> I've, n I've never heard of Angle. All right. Let me retake that. Directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Sorry for all of this, Santiago. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know. We're really <laughs> making it fun for you. Oh, and you're giving this to Santiago. He's just going to destroy our pronunciations. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I typically try to find the director's previous work, see why they got this gig. Out of his car horn, I'm like, oh, God, we're going to all the stereotypes. But they steer away from it. But come on. No, this is called Blue Beetle. And you got George Locust. George Locust. George Locust. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his secret superhero name? <laughs>